Lord. Romans 10. We are going to, by the grace of God, finish this chapter uh, this morning. We've been in Romans for a couple of weeks now, back in Romans. Remember, Romans 9 deals with Israel's past. We've, we've talked about that in length. Romans chapter 10 deals with Israel's present standing before God as it relates to the gospel. Romans chapter 11 is going to teach us that God is not done with the nation of Israel. They're going to, they're going to be restored by the grace of God. And so two weeks ago, we started Romans chapter 10. We looked at verses 1 to 5, and we, we, we titled that message, Righteousness Rejected. And we learned that presently, the nation of Israel as a whole has rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they continue to try to establish their own righteousness still under that Old Testament economy. And we learned two weeks ago that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Remember, we talked about that, how, man, for for the Old Testament time period, to be right with God, you had to keep the law. And you had, to, you had to be a Jew. You had to be part of the nation of Israel, uh, either by birth or by choice, uh, becoming a Jewish proselyte. But, but when Christ came, he is the end of the law for righteousness. And so now, to be right with God just requires faith, faith in the finished work of Christ. And then, and then last week, we looked at righteousness simplified, and, and we looked at the, the fact that, man, as it relates to the gospel... Faith is not works. We talked about that last week. The gospel comes in word. A man believes in his heart, and then he confesses with his mouth that he has believed in his heart that Jesus Christ is sufficient for his salvation. And we learned that the gospel last week is is all-inclusive. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, what What a tremendous gift of grace that God has given us, and, and, and Romans 10 tells us that now there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Whereas in the Old Testament, to be right with God or connected with God, you had to be a Jew or, or somehow affiliated with the nation of Israel. Now there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. They were all able to have salvation in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to finish that, that passage uh, with the last message out of Romans 10 called Righteousness Proclaimed. And, and, and I was telling our leaders before service, you know, last week really was, was the verses out of Romans that every lost person needs to hear. That if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you can be saved from your sin. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, that is the gospel message to Jew or Gentile, that you can be saved But then today, we're going to talk about righteousness proclaimed, and today's message is really for the church. In other words, those that are saved, we got a responsibility. We we have a mission to accomplish, and so we'll pick it up in Romans 10, verses 14 to 21. Let me read the text. I'm going to pray. You please pray for me. I'm I'm not serious. I I am serious. I'm not joking. Uh, The throat is killing me. So uh, just pray that God uses this for his glory. Look at Romans 10, verse 14. How then... Shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? 
Yes, verily, their sound went out into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? For Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I have found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and a gainsaying people. Let's pray and ask God to teach us this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, as we uh, study this portion of, of Scripture, Lord, help it to change our heart, change our mind, uh, help us to realize we have a responsibility uh, to see and, and make sure that the gospel is available to the world. Uh, Lord, that starts with us individually. And so, Lord, help us to see that responsibility, God, that, that, that we are called to, to carry it out. We are the ambassadors of Christ to take this message out into a lost and dying world. And, and Father, empower us today through your word and through your spirit. We love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so number one in your notes, I, I want to share with you the reach of the gospel. And, and the beginning of this passage in verses 14 and 15, start with a bunch of questions. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How, they sh- how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? And so there are several questions, and, and the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, is just making the case that in order for people to believe, there has to be a process. And so this morning, I want to I show you the steps that God has designed to get the gospel from God to a man. We're going we're gonna to work through this passage, and we're going to work through it backwards so that you and I can see the clear process that God has to get the gospel from himself, from God, to a man. And, and here's the process. Again, if we, if we take those verses and then we work them backwards, starting at verse 15 and kind of go back to verse 14, we see how God wants to make sure that his message of redemption moves from him to the, per, to the intended audience, to the people that need it. Number one, God sends a preacher. This is how it works. God sends a preacher... And in your Bible, I want you to understand that, that a preacher is just someone who heralds a message. A preacher is someone who just proclaims a message. Now, many times we take uh, that word, preacher, and we think that that is synonymous with the word pastor, okay? And, and, and many of us do that, you know, well, the preacher down at the church, okay? And, and that is true, a pastor is called to preach, but not every preacher is a pastor, and I'm going to give you the kind of the end of the story before we get there. A pastor is one of two offices within the local church. A pastor and a deacon are two ordained offices, and only two ordained offices of the local church. So don't confuse preacher with pastor. And, and by the way, a pastor should preach, but not all preachers are pastors. I'm going to prove that to you before we get done. When you study this thing in the Bible, there are a lot of people that are called preachers. Uh, Solomon was called a preacher. Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, The words of the preacher, capital P, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Solomon was the wisest man outside the Lord Jesus Christ to ever walk this earth. And, and he is the son of David. He is the king of Israel. And he's called a preacher. And he had some things to proclaim on behalf of God. Isaiah 61 and verse 1, Isaiah was a preacher. The Bible says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach 
good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound. Anybody remember the story of Jonah? You guys remember the story of Jonah? God sent him to Nineveh. And when he sent him to Nineveh, he commanded him to preach. Jonah 3 and verse 2, God tells Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. God's got a message. God sends a preacher. Jesus Christ was a preacher. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, Jesus went about Galilee teaching and preaching in their synagogues, excuse me, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Philip in Acts chapter 8 is a preacher. The Bible says in Acts 8 verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. Paul, after his conversion, is a preacher. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20, it says straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Do you see the pattern? God sends a man. God sends a man with a message. God sends a preacher. Noah is a preacher. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. That's who Noah was. Second Timothy, two and verse, or Second Timothy 4 and verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. So God, God's process to get his message of redemption. Number one, God, it begins with God. And God sends a preacher. And you say, man, those are all great preachers. We're not done yet. Because in 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 17 to 19, we're going to learn that we, we're all preachers. We've all been sent. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. You're not a pastor. But you are a preacher. And you need to understand that this morning, God has, has called you, empowered you, enabled you, and commissioned you and I to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 through 19. You and I are preachers. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, any of those people in the room? Anybody in Christ today? Okay. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become what? Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that all things are new? And we like verse 17, but generally we stop there. We pump the brakes. But the passage continues, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the same us that are in Christ. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The same us that are in Christ. We all have the ministry of reconciliation. And we may not get past this first point this morning. It's important for us to understand that we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. You see, you received reconciliation through the gospel. When somebody shared the gospel, how you could be saved from your sin, you were reconciled back to Christ through the, back to God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God not only gave you forgiveness and he gave you redemption and he gave you reconciliation and he gave you his Holy Spirit, but he gave you a ministry. Verse, 18, verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You see, the ministry of reconciliation is accomplished through the word of reconciliation, and the word of reconciliation is the gospel. And, and, and so listen, 
We need to understand that when God initiated this plan of redemption for the world, that he intended to use preachers and preaching to see it accomplished. What that means is that we all, number one, need to realize that God has sent us. We are preachers. And you may sit there and say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, then you're calling God a liar. (laughs) God said you are. And God says, this is the way I want to see the gospel message reach the world. God sends a preacher. And if you're saved, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given the word of reconciliation. And we, number one, need to settle who we are in Christ. We're preachers of the gospel. Number two, we need to understand that a preacher, well, here's what he does. This is why I get paid the big bucks. You ready? A preacher, that's a joke, by the way. A a preacher, guess what he does? He preaches. (laughs) You know, there's a little game that some of y'all play, like trying to fill out the blanks before the sermon. This one you should have got. A preacher, all he does is just, he just preaches the gospel, okay? And and I want you to understand that, that, again, listen, the gospel has to be preached. In other words, the preaching of the gospel is a verbal exercise. It's a verbal exercise. You say, well, I'm not really good at speaking. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're good at speaking. If you got a voice and you're saved and you have the Spirit of God in you, God says, I want to use your mouth to communicate my message of redemption. The gospel is a verbal exercise. The thing that we preach is Christ. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. Paul writes and he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you, that's called preaching, I'm declaring unto you the gospel which I preached to you that when you received it, you were saved, excuse me, wherein you stand, by the which you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that, uh, that what I received, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So a preacher... All he's supposed to do is just preach Christ. That's why every one of us can do that. Because listen, if we've been born again, if we're saved, we know what the gospel is, right? You can't be saved without understanding the gospel and believing in the gospel. And so that is the very message that God's called us to preach. And can I just tell you, we get real good. I'm, humor me. We're really good about preaching our church. You know, preaching what Bible we use, preaching doctrine, you know, uh, preaching our small group. Okay, listen, all those things are wonderful. I'm thankful for all of those things. When are we going to start telling people about Christ? We, we have to tell people, listen, this church can't save anybody. My small group can't save anybody. A King James Bible can't save anybody, but Jesus Christ can. Jesus Christ can save anyone. And and so we have to make sure that we are preaching Christ. And then number three in the process, an unbeliever needs to hear that message. So so in other words, we have to preach it to the right people. (laughs) Now listen, we need to preach the gospel in this church for sure, but, but most of us are saved. So we need to carry the message to the unbelieving so that they can hear the gospel. And again, when you work backwards in that process in Romans chapter 10, How can they believe if they haven't heard? 
And, and, and so listen, we have this modern idea and philosophy of ministry that's called lifestyle evangelism. I'm just going to live out my faith in front of my coworkers and my family and my children and, and my neighbors. I'm just going to live out Christ and somehow, some way, they're going to just magically interpret from my life their need for salvation. Well, it doesn't work like that. Now, now, let me say it is true that you should live out what you believe. And maybe that's why many of us don't preach the gospel, because what comes out of our mouth won't really match the life that we're living. But that's no excuse. Number one, we need to repent and live the way Christ expects us to live. But number two, we got to preach the gospel. Matthew 11 and verse 15, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And, and listen, there are people that need to hear. And if we don't tell them, who's going to tell them? That's what Romans 10 is saying. How are they going to believe if they don't hear? You know, one of the struggles I have personally, stepping away from vocational, a vocational job is that my pool of lost people greatly has diminished because I'm not in a secular job. I'm not in a place where people are just continually coming in that I can connect with on a very personal level, and that bothers me because when I had that, listen, I wasn't the greatest evangelist, but I'm telling you, people, people knew about Christ. And now, for whatever reason, God has, has moved me in a different spot, in a different capacity, and, and taken that out of my life, and I struggle with that. And so I have to work really hard to find people that are, that are needing to hear the message of the gospel. But all of us need to really realize that there are people around us that need to hear the gospel. They need to have ears that, 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 that are re- receiving the message of the gospel. Not everyone is going to listen to that, but listen... And God knows that. In the book of Matthew, I mean, Jesus, dealing with the Jews, man, preached for 12 chapters to them. And then in chapter 13, Jesus began to speak in parables. He says in verse 13, he says, Because they seeing see not, and hearing hear not, neither do they understand. Not everyone who hears the gospel from you is going to get saved. They may not have ears to hear, but that doesn't negate our responsibility to still preach the gospel. We don't know if they have ears to hear. All we know is that we have a message. And an unbeliever needs to hear the gospel so that, that fourthly, an unbeliever can believe the gospel. If they don't hear it, they can't believe it. And, and again, we studied this last week. Romans 10 and verse 10, it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so an unbeliever has the opportunity to believe when we preach, when we share Christ. And, and, and listen, you don't need to be ashamed of that word preach. You don't need to, well, I shared, I shared Christ with somebody. That's called preaching. <laughs> so be cool with what the Bible calls it. It's preaching the gospel. Let's be cool with what Bi- the Bible calls it. That, that's not a word to be weird about or religious about. That's what it is. It's proclaiming that Jesus Christ can forgive us of our sin. And listen, when they believe... Then, then fifthly, they'll confess that they've believed. And, and that same person, that same person that is now a believer, confesses that he or she has called on the name of the Lord. We studied that last week. But I want you to understand that the process to get the gospel to the lost man is us. It's us. It's us. It's not the pastor's job or responsibility, although he is to do that. It's all of our jobs. 
And, and, and so listen, we have to understand in our, in our notes, look, here's the key principle. The gospel is going to only reach as far as we are, are willing to take it. In other words, the gospel is never going to go to your job if you don't take it there. The gospel is never going to get to your neighborhood unless you take it there. The gospel is never going to get to your family unless you take it there. We, the gospel is only going to reach as far as we are willing to take it. How are they going to call on him if we never go and preach? And, and, and again, are we still on point one in your notes? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm not done yet. So, so the point is, and, and listen, we have these conversations around here all the time. We have conversations about wanting to see our church grow. Uh, we rejoice when we have a big Sunday. We rejoice when people make decisions. We, we want to see sustained growth uh, in our church for the glory of God's sake, not just so that we can say we have a bunch of numbers. And, and there's two ways that churches grow. Number one, they grow with, with what I'll call qualitative growth. Again, I use big words, not all the time. What that means is that we grow in quality. Our, our church grows by maturing and growing spiritually. Does that make sense? We become more like but like Christ, okay, at least you know who we're aiming at. Uh, we call that process of qualitative growth, we call it discipleship. That's how you grow. That's how our church grows to spiritual maturity. But can you really measure that? I mean, I mean, you can't really count spiritual growth like that. It's a hard metric to measure. In other words, you can't really count that by seats in the uh, butts in the seats, if I can say it that way. I'm not trying to be vulgar, but, but you, can't, you can't measure spiritual growth by the number of people that are here. You measure spiritual growth by spiritual maturity, holiness, righteousness, a right relationship with Christ, time in the Word of God, time in prayer, uh, a personal commitment to Christ, obedience to Christ. That's how you measure qualitative growth. But a church also grows quantitatively. In quantity. And do you know how we grow in quantity? We go reach people with the gospel. That's how we, that's how we grow quantitatively. That's called evangelism. And listen, I'm not really sure if we really understand that. I'm not going to ask this question, but it was po- I heard this question posed on a podcast. A pastor said... I wanted to ask my church how many people at my church were at my church because they had received the gospel of Jesus Christ out there and then they got saved and we brought them in. Versus there were saved people out there that for whatever reason God brought to our church but they were already saved when they got here. Now I'm not going to ask that question in this room because I don't want to quite honestly see the result. If you were to raise your hand and say, the reason I'm here is because somebody came and got me and preached the gospel to me, and I got saved, and then God brought me here. Does that make sense? Do you understand the difference? And and so listen, we have to understand our job is to go and preach the gospel to the lost. That's how we grow quantitatively, and it won't happen any other way. It will not happen any other way. And so, and so we shouldn't be surprised if we're not growing numerically if we aren't doing the work of the ministry. If we aren't growing numerically, 
I have to ask the question, are we, do, are we doing the work of the ministry? And, and that's a yes or no answer. You hear me? And who has been given the responsibility to do the work of the ministry? All of us have been given the responsibility. That doesn't mean that, that man, because we're obedient to evangelize, that next week there's going to be 500 people here. But I'll tell you this, if we're obedient to evangelize and share the gospel... Well, God's going to honor that. God's going to bless. There are people that have ears to hear. And so many times we get wrapped up. In, and listen, there are things that are important to this church. Discipleship is important, but you can't truly make disciples without evangelism. And sadly, what we've turned into is, is a church that we're, we're, we're thankful for the people that come here. And, and man, we have a discipleship ministry and a philosophy that we will continue to do. But if that end result doesn't equip people to go preach the gospel and make them disciples, we're not doing it right. We're not doing it right. So, Romans chapter 10, it asks all the questions, and then, it, and then Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, quotes this Old Testament passage. He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. Can you remember the person that shared the gospel with you when you got saved? I can. I mean, that day changed my life. And thank God for that man that, that had enough boldness and obedience to the Lord to open his mouth and put me in a spot to hear what God wanted me to hear. God says that the people that, that do this have beautiful feet. They bring the gospel of peace. They bring glad tidings of good things. There's, no, there's nothing about that gospel message in my life that was bad other than the fact that it was my sin that separated me from God. But I could be forgiven. I could have a new life. I could be a, a son of God in Jesus Christ. His shed blood could wash me from my sin. Man, that is glad tidings of good things. God's given me purpose. He's given me his word, his Holy Spirit. Paul is quoting Isaiah 50, 52 and verse 7. He's also quoting Nahum uh, chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring good tidings, that publish peace. God says that when you carry the gospel to the lost, you have beautiful feet. Ephesians chapter 6 says that the gospel itself is part of the whole armor of God. And I don't know if you've ever studied this in detail, but in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, when Paul writes, he says, Take unto you how much of the armor of God? The whole armor. Take all of it that ye may be able to, to, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And, and listen, when you put on armor, that means you're going into battle. That means that there's a war. And, and you want all of your armor on. And, and listen, Sadly, we have some soldiers in the Lord's army that don't have all their armor on because they're not really prepared with the gospel of peace. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, he goes through that list of armor. He says in verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, to be a believer ready for battle, our feet have to be ready with the gospel. Our feet have to be ready with the gospel. By the way, it's interesting that your feet have to be ready. That's so that you can go carry it where it needs to go. That means that, that inside these four walls, yeah, we'll preach the gospel, but guess what? We're all going to walk out of here in about three more hours. 
I'm just seeing if y'all are awake. And God wants us to take these feet somewhere and take a message somewhere. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so listen, there is no excuse for a professing Christian not to be engaged in sharing the gospel regularly and accurately. There's no excuse. So whatever excuse we may have, listen, there's no excuse. The reason there's no excuse is because if you're saved, you know it personally. You know it personally. You see, the, the issue of the gospel is like the issue of anything else in Christianity. It's just obedience. It's submissiveness to the Lord. It's trusting the Lord at his word. God's called us to do that. God's empowered us to do that. I can't do that. You sure can't, but God can. God can do it through you. God tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, when, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. And that four-letter word is the word that gets us many times because it's what? It's work. Sharing the gospel's work. You know why it's work? Because you have to be intentional about it. Do you know that the Bible also says that studying the word of God is work? We're, we're to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You know why most Christians, not in this church, of course, but other churches, most Christians on this planet don't study their Bible because it's work. You know why we don't share the gospel? Because it's work. It's just like studying the Bible. We are called to do the work of an evangelist. Amen. So how are we doing? Are we making full proof of our ministry? The proof's in the pudding. We, we have to ask ourselves, are we personally, regularly, and accurately sharing not our opinion, not our church, not our discipleship ministry, not our Bible? Are we sharing the gospel regularly and accurately with lost people? And if not, why? Because that's the process that God uses. That, that is the way the gospel reaches from God to man. Okay. Mm. I got a whole lot of notes and not a whole lot of time. Let's hit it real quick. Point number two. Listen, when we share the gospel, there's always going to be two reactions. There's going to be two reactions to the gospel. You already know this. This is why many of us don't share the gospel. Because there are only two reactions to the gospel. Verse 15, or excuse me, verse 16 says... But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The point that Paul is making is that not all of Israel has believed the gospel. They've heard the gospel. They've not believed it. Remember, Romans 10 deals with, with Israel's present standing before God. When you study Christ's earthly ministry, the Jews responded to Christ and his preaching in unbelief. When you study the book of Acts concerning the, the apostles of Jesus Christ after Christ ascended, the nation of Israel as a whole responded to their preaching in unbelief. Today, if you were to go to the nation of Israel and begin preaching the gospel, the majority are going to respond in unbelief because, because there's only two reactions to the gospel and, and in your notes, it says in verse 16, they've not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Here's the, here's the first key in your notes. Look, to obey the gospel is to believe the gospel. To obey the gospel is just to, to believe the gospel. It's just to believe what God says about Christ. 
And so if you want to obey the gospel, you just believe it by faith. That's what it is. You don't have to do anything other than believe. And faith is not a work, according to Ephesians chapter 2. And so there are only two responses to the gospel. You receive it or you reject it. That's it. You receive it or reject it. And we need to be mindful of that because as we go out of here and trust God for opportunities, we know that people are either going to receive the gospel or reject the gospel. The response doesn't negate our responsibility to share the gospel. God even says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Isaiah 53 and verse 1, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Not everyone who has heard the gospel has believed. We've seen that in the nation of Israel's life. We've seen it in our church's life. Not everybody who has sat under the gospel teaching and preaching has believed it. And when you go out, not everyone who you share it with is going to receive it or believe it. But here's what we need to understand. Point number three, when the gospel is preached... There's an opportunity for faith. When we preach the gospel, there's an opportunity for faith. And and verse 17 is a verse that we quote all the time at this church, right? So then faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by what? And we quote that because you know it, man. You guys know it. We quote that verse all the time. And many times we quote it in the context of believing God's word, believing, having more faith in what God has said. But the direct context has to do with salvation. It has to do with the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Here's what that means. When a lost person hears the gospel, he has the opportunity right then and there to believe. So if we don't share the gospel, we limit the opportunity for him to respond to God. Do you understand that? I mean, listen... It doesn't mean that even though, listen, it doesn't mean that if you've read a tract, you can't get saved. It doesn't mean that if you don't read the Bible, if if you read the Bible, you can't get saved because you have to hear it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when we preach the gospel, every time we preach the gospel, there's an opportunity for faith to be exercised. So you have to look at, at, at your responsibility to share the gospel just as that. I mean, listen, faith, saving faith is rooted in the authority of God's word. So when we share the gospel with people right then and there, there's a chance for people to believe. That ought to make us excited about sharing the gospel. That if I can get the gospel message out, this person has an opportunity to believe in faith what God's word has said. Okay, and then number three, look. So we've seen the reach of the gospel. We've seen the two reactions of the gospel. Quickly, number three, we're going to see the recognition of the gospel. And and again, remember, this chapter deals with the nation of Israel, right? Right? Okay, I just want to make sure. It's dealing with Israel and their rejection of the gospel. And so Paul says in verse 18, But I say, have they not heard? And we'll read the rest of the verse in a second. But the point is that here's a group of people that have not believed in Christ. And the first obvious question is, if they haven't believed... Well, have they even heard? Do you realize that there are people in this city that have not yet heard the gospel? I mean, mean, seriously. Uh, Mike Renault is a church planter in the city of Boston, Boston, Massachusetts. I had a chance to meet him two weeks ago. 
prayerfully we're going to get him down and, and let him share about his church plant and uh, what God's doing there. These guys went out and, and began to share the gospel, just street evangelism in Boston. It's freezing cold in, in Boston right now, so it's really hard to do evangelism. But they went out, and of course everybody's like socially distanced and freaking out about COVID, and so they have to do things a little bit different than what we're normally doing them. Uh, but they met a group of ladies, two ladies, uh, just out in the community, and it was at the end of the day, uh, they had been evangelizing and praying with people and talking with people, and it was the very end of the day, these two ladies were there, and Mike was kind of like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm whipped, we've, we've been at it all day, and uh, it was like the Lord just opened the opportunity to talk to these two ladies, and so they went over, they began to tell them what they were doing, they shared the gospel, a 70-year-old lady who was, who was born and raised in this country, in the city of Boston, had never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. 70 years old in this country that had never heard that Jesus Christ died for her sin, was buried and rose again the third day, and is victorious and will forgive her of her sin if she would believe on him. Never heard that message. She got saved. She got saved, man, and has been going to their church and she is the number one uh, evangelist. She is the number one invite people to church. She is the number one. You need to be here on Sunday. And so, you know, they got like 20 people right now. And she is like all about it. Well, well she hadn't heard. She had just never heard. How can you grow up in this country and not hear the gospel? I'll tell you how you can grow up in this country and not hear the gospel. Because we as believers in Christ haven't done what we're called to do. Let me ask you a question. I ask this question all the time. When's the last time someone that you didn't know shared the gospel with you? Did anybody share the gospel with you this week that you didn't know? Did anybody, anybody share the gospel with you this week? So if we are all supposedly you know, professing believers and the majority of this city is, is saved people and, man, we know the gospel and we know Jesus and, and we're all about what God's called us to do, well, don't you think in community we would be running into each other as we evangelize? We would actually witness to a guy, man, thank you for witnessing to me. Yeah, I actually am saved. I got saved when I was 21. Tell me about you, your story. When did you get saved? Don't you think that would, we would kind of be bumping into each other but listen, when's the last time somebody witnessed to you? Was it two weeks ago? Anybody witnessed to you a month ago? Anybody that witnessed to you a month ago, raise your hand. Anybody witnessed to you six months? I'm not talking about cults. I'm talking about Bible preaching, gospel preaching people. Has anybody had the gospel presented to them in six months? A year? Are you kidding do you think we're doing what God's called us to do? Have they not heard? Well, the truth is they haven't. They haven't heard. Now, Paul redirects the question to the nation of Israel. He says, yeah, actually they have heard and they've rejected it. Here's how, here's how they heard. Number one, it says their sound went into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Paul, Paul asked the obvious question, if Israel specifically is not believing, number one, is it because they haven't heard? But then he incriminates them, he lays the accusation and the charge against them. It's a rhetorical question because he says, yeah, actually they have heard. 
And here's what they've heard. Number one, they've heard God's general revelation. They've heard God's general revelation. He says, their sound went into all the earth, their words unto the end of the world. And, and when you read that, if you don't compare Scripture with Scripture, you don't know really what he's talking about. He's quoting Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens, creation, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he hath set a tabernacle for the sun. And, and listen, at this church, we understand that God has revealed himself through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. It says, day unto day uttereth speech. Every 24-hour cycle, God is revealing his glory. He's revealing a message that there is a creator and a creation. Night unto night showeth knowledge. Listen, we studied this in Romans chapter 1. Creation bears witness that there is a God, that there is a creator. And so listen, Israel had that. And by the way, every lost person has that. Every lost person that's on this planet and in this universe, they have God's revelation. They know that there's a God. God's revealed himself through it. And then secondly, Israel had God's specific revelation. And he goes on in that passage, and he says in verse 19, did, they, did not Israel know? And, and then he quotes two Old Testament prophets that Israel had access to. Number one, he quotes Moses. He, he tells, Moses says, I'm going to provoke you, Israel, to jealousy by them that are no people and by foolish nation. I will anger you. And then he says, Isaiah is very bold. And he saith, I found of them that saw me not. I made manifest of them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands to a disobedient and a gangsang people. You see, the point is that even in Israel's rejection, God says, okay, if you're not going to receive me, I'm going to use a foolish nation to draw you to jealousy, to, to make you angry. And, and we know that in the Old Testament, God worked through the nation of Israel. God wanted the entire Gentile world to get saved through Israel's rise but you know the story. Israel rejected God. They fell as a nation. And so in the New Testament economy, all the Gentile world have the opportunity to be saved through Israel's fall. And we'll get into that in Romans chapter 11. The point is, God is allowing the Gentiles to get saved in spite of Israel's rejection. It proved what God said about Israel was true. God had given Israel specific revelation from Moses and from Isaiah so even when Gentiles were getting saved, the Jews should have known, well, God said that was going to happen. That specific revelation should have made them turn to repentance. You see, here, here's where many times we fail. We know that God has generally revealed himself to all creation. We know that there is no man that will be without excuse. And we know that, that God... Again, Romans chapter 1, even his eternal power and Godhead is manifest in creation. But many times we fail because we don't take God's specific revelation to the people that need to hear it. We don't, need to we, we don't take the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, we don't take the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the people that need to hear it. And so listen, they don't know. 
They don't know. So who's going to tell them? I hope so. I hope we do. I mean, that's what we're called to do. And, and I'm not sure, man. Again, you know, I'm, I'm a, you already know I'm kind of a weird guy. But I think about stuff like that. I think about how many people that say they're believers in Jesus Christ in this city. And no offense, but they don't know me from, from Adam. And they've never evangelized me. So I'm pretty sure we're not really getting it done in our city. And, I, and I'm pretty sure we're not really even getting it done in the world because the gospel is only going to go as far as we take it. And if we don't take it to work, listen, it, it ain't going to happen at work. Our work will remain unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because it's not available, because we're not willing to preach it. Our family needs to hear the gospel. Our neighbors need to hear the gospel. And, and listen, we need to do it in love. We need to do it accurately. We need to do it regularly. We need to do it biblically. But you can never go wrong preaching the gospel. You can just never go wrong. And so we need to be about the business, man. Romans chapter 10 for us gives us God's plan for righteousness pro- proclaimed. It's a verbal exercise. We've got we to get over our fear. We've got to get over our uh, uncertainty. We, we have to get over our shame, our disobedience, and just do what God's called us to do. I dare, I dare say, man... Listen, we are in the last days of Christianity. I believe the rapture is going to happen very soon. And, and, and listen, if you don't understand what follows the rapture, you need to understand what follows the rapture of this church, the church of Jesus Christ. The thing that follows the rapture, and we all say, man, we're looking forward to the rapture. I don't know if we should necessarily look forward to the rapture. Because following the rapture is the judgment seat of Christ, where we will stand and give an account, not for our sin, but we will give an account of our stewardship of this Christian life. And we'll give an account of our stewardship of the Holy Spirit. We'll give an account of the stewardship of the Word of God that God has entrusted us with. We will give an account of the ministry of reconciliation and the Word of reconciliation and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord is going to ask us, listen, here's what I gave you, son. What would you do with it? Well, I believed it. Well, no, I know that. That's why you're here. And what would you do with it since then? Where would you plant your corn? Do you got any corn growing? Where's your fruit? We need to get ready, church. I'm telling you. We need to be about the gospel. Let's pray.